I'm Eric Chemi, and this is Politely Pushy. Really special episode this week on the podcast. Lars May and her pug, apparently, are here as our guest today. Lars May is the founder of Half the Story, which is all about things that are really near and dear to my heart. Social media, digital wellness, our mental well-being, the half the story of the things that we don't see, right? We only see the the screen part that's right in front of us. So, Lars, thank you for coming on the show. If thank your you dog so barks or squeals or whatever, we will certainly yeah, you know, we welcome emotional support animals and mascots uh, on the sh- on all, all of our mental health shows. But exactly. thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to be here and have this t- very timely conversation. And I know that you all work with a lot of tech clients, so hopefully this will be able be the opportunity to open up the conversation to talk more about the the relationship between tech and well being, which is something we we like to call digital wellness. Right. It's it's near and dear to my heart because. I feel like I don't even have the attention span anymore, right? Like everything's, it's so bombarded and, and you, and you see these things on social media and it makes you question, how am I living my life? What do I need to do differently? And then I think about my own kids, right? And like, as they start going through school now, how much are they going to get exposed to? What are they going to believe or, or get fooled by and get tricked into? So it's, it's really a, a difficult time to be an adult, right? To be a parent. And a parent. Let's yeah. say, and how old are your kids? They are preschool and younger, so they haven't started kindergarten yet, but they'll but they'll be there soon. And you always, you start hearing about, you know, I look out right now, it's it's kids walking home from middle school and they're all on their phones, right? They're all everything's on screens, and you wonder, is this is this gonna end well for them? But but tell me about but your personal story, right? You this is not just something that you're doing. This really had direct meaning for you. So walk us through your journey and and what you experienced before you founded this and why you created it. Absolutely. Well, half the story is a is a bright light and, and is certainly the focus of the I guess the middle of my universe now. It is my universe, my child, in addition to Poncho. And it's came from a really dark place. And so when I was in college, I was struggling with my mental health. And at the same time, I was also getting introduced to the digital world. I created social media accounts. I also have been a marketer for as long as I can remember, even when I didn't know what marketing was, and started falling into the trap of social media, but also the power of it. And I was actually able to build a business and start consulting and building social media. But on the flip side, I felt like social media was a magnifying glass for my emotions. And it made the dark ones darker, and it made the good ones better in a lot of ways, like the dopamine hit, this false sense of inclusion or you know, just all of those things that I think young, young people are facing right now. And so when I hit this rock bottom, I literally was dragged to the psych center on my college campus. And when I got in the room and did my whole diagnostic and they get start, gave me my antidepressants, which were definitely important to my journey, they asked me about drugs, sex, alcohol, and the people I spent my time with. And I wasn't completely I wasn't really one of those people that was into drugs. Of course, I had my fair share of drinking, as most college students do. But then I stepped back and realized they didn't ask me about the drug in my pocket, which was my cell phone. And it's like those are all forms from the '90s, right? It's like we need to add a very important thing on that menu. There's there's one big thing missing there. Absolutely, and so you know, I I got out. I did my and my dog is barking for his ball. Um, I I got out of. I got out of the the center and wound up entering my mental health journey. And during that, 
I spent a lot of time alone and just looking at the way that young people's body language changed, looking at the way that people even looked like were taking photos of themselves and with others. And I also just started listening and I felt that the number of conversations about social media, even just in the lunchroom, were starting to increase, whether it was about, you know, filters or how pretty people looked and and those conversations started and never ended. And so I had this moment of just thinking and, and realizing, wow, I think we're missing a big piece of this puzzle. And it's really because I believe that social media and technology really is the cigarettes and drug of our generation. And I believe that in a few years that this is going to be one of the biggest challenges that we are all facing. And so I guess fast forward to now, um, that's that's where we are. And half the story started as a small idea in a college project. And now we're really the leaders at the intersection of technology and emotional health for youth. How did you grow this from zero, right? From your own, just doing it by yourself. It's it's in college. You're gradually getting bigger and bigger and bigger. What were some of those milestones along the way? And my guess is you couldn't have foreseen at the time that it would get to be this big and impactful when at the time that you started it. No, I really didn't. I mean, I think I've always been a visionary and I've had big ideas. And as I told you, I loved advertising and marketing. And I think at a young age, I realized the power of storytelling and social storytelling and that life and the best marketing and the best companies and the best things in the world that touch us aren't about changing our minds, but really about touching our hearts. And so I started Half the Story by just printing Half the Story stickers out and sharing my own story on social media, which really started a grassroots movement where young people all around the world started to share their stories. And after that, I, you know, it started as a just a little grassroots movement. I was bootstrapping it. We were we got like a two hundred fifty dollar grant from campus. I was telling my story. I was doing a lot of outreach and just hearing other young people. And then when I graduated college, I moved to New York and I was an entrepreneur and was like starting to work on these other direct to consumer brands because that was they were venture backed businesses and I would join alongside the founders basically as first employees and take the companies from zero to series A or you know multiple tens of millions of dollars and so along that journey I was basically working two full time jobs because I didn't know what half the story was going to become I just thought it was this project and then I started booking myself for speaking engagements on college campuses because I believed that that would be the best way to fund it. And then I finally had this moment in 2018 where we became a nonprofit. And shortly after, you know, the doors just started to open. We, I remember I got my IRS letter and like a, a $3,000 small business grant on the same day. A couple months later, we were on Good Morning America. And there were just little signs in the universe that told me that this was the path to keep following, regardless of how hard it was and how hard it still is. Um, you know, I'm, I'm coming off like being on a red eye and then sleeping on my friend's couch the other night. So it's definitely, you know, the the obstacles don't end in entrepreneurship. I think the bigger you become, the bigger the the struggles are in many ways. And so it's just about appreciating all moments of the journey and especially the the smaller, simple ones from the early days. Your website mentions all screen time is not created equal. Yes. What's what's good? What's bad? Is it so, just social media? Like, like walk me through how you think about this. Absolutely. So the way we like to think about technology consumption is active versus passive. So active intent, active consumption is when you have an intention or a purpose and a reason to be there. 
So you know exactly why you're picking up your phone to get on it. You know exactly what, why you're getting on your computer to do the same. Um, I would say active and, and positive ways to use technology. Can Social media can be positive if you're there to reconnect with people. Uh, active ways of using technology can also be to support mindfulness, like mindfulness apps, or even using things like Nike Run Club to help you get out in the world and take care of your, your fitness. Uh, passive consumption is just as simple as when you pick up your phone, without a specific intention or reason, and you're using it to pass time. Like anything else, like if you were to pull out a large bag of family Cheetos because you were feeling sad or lonely, you would consume those Cheetos without thought while watching probably some junky TV show and not feel so great after it. And the same thing goes for tech. When you get on there without an intention, a lot of times you get pulled into the rabbit hole and you get spit out. And it, it really has a negative impact on your emotional well-being and your self-esteem. And not to mention, you've probably just wasted a bunch of time. Um, a lot of people don't know this, but the average American teen is spending between seven and a half and eight hours behind their screen a day. And over a lifetime, that's 30 years. It it's a full-time job, right? Eight hours a day is a full-time job. Uh, of that's It's amazingly high. So then is it the focus is on, is it on screen time? Is it on social media? Is it phone versus desktop? Like how do you see, or, or how do you rank the dangers either by platform, by medium, by, by where you spend the time? Well, everyone's relationship with technology is unique to them. It's, it's, I always say our relationship to technology is very much so like our relationship to food and that it's unique for everyone. It's really contingent upon our upbringing, our socioeconomic backgrounds, all those different things that play a role in the way that technology impacts us. The way that we look at digital well-being at Half the Story is really actually focused first on emotional health, then focusing on digital habits. Because what the opportunity cost of technology is that you're not actually able to sit with your emotions or really even identify with your emotions and emotional agility has gone down a lot, especially for the younger generation. So we like to start by using education as a means to help introduce them to concepts like emotional agility, identifying with their emotions, um, even just connecting with themselves to understand why they are using technology in the way they are. And then from there, we focus on digital habits. And I think to answer your question about it, what's worse, um, look, I think we all know that violence, video games with violence, those sorts of things are really taxing. We know that social media algorithms have been built to hook kids and, you know, they are predatory in a lot of ways. Um, I like to say that, you know, tools like Pinterest are much more creative platforms and oftentimes are for inspiration. So I tend to think that's really positive. I personally think that TikTok is actually a really dangerous place. Um, one, because it's really prioritizing the shock factor when it comes to what it rewards in the algorithm, which is leading to a lot of issues like kids posting things that they wouldn't want to be posting uh, in 10 years down the road, even more so than I think Instagram was. And then on top of that, just the lack of monitoring as it relates to these challenges and all of the, um, you know, all the things that young kids are facing from the tide challenges and all these things that they think they need to do to fit in. And so I just think that that is really terrifying. Um, I think it's also terrifying that in America, kids on TikTok see something completely different. And this is probably the same on all social platforms as kids do in China, which is actually where TikTok is owned. So if you look at a kid's TikTok platform in China, they're actually receiving different types of content and they have um, different types of algorithms. Um, I've even heard that they actually like black out 
the platform for younger kids, like at certain times of the week. Um, I have to go to China to investigate that. But look, like it's, you know, it's no, it, it is no joke. And it is really, really scary to think about the ways that kids are using technology and how it's actually impacting the way that their brains are developing. And I think that that's like one of the the biggest things that we have to continue researching and learning about in order to make sure that we can evolve with it rather than let technology take control of us. One of the big initiatives you have is the Global Day of Unplugging. That was August 6th, I think, if I if I remember right. How do you, how do you grow that cause? Because part of it is you grow it digitally, right? Like so much of how you're trying to reach people is through digital, but but the message you're telling them is the exact opposite. Like, hey, I know you've reached me. I know I've, I've got this message out to you digitally, but I want you to unplug on this day. How do you, how do you grow that? How do you continue to make that a bigger and bigger thing yeah. than some of the other days around the, the calendar? Yeah, I think, you know, our POV with the Global Day of Unplugging is that this is like a day of the year to really intentionally analyze the role that technology plays in your life. Um and have a conversation about that. And it's not, you know, I don't believe that detoxes really work for physical, for nutrition and necessarily technology. I look at it as more of like a screen-free celebration and an opportunity for you to connect with your loved ones, new friends, creativity, the things that you love, and really just have the hard conversations with yourself and others. It's almost like this, like the Sabbath um, to not use technology. Um, How we've grown is, is interesting. And I'm glad you brought that up because I think in the digital world, the way that so many people receive information is through the internet and we can't ignore that. But we've also seen a departure from traditional digital media and more of a return to PR and in real life activations and um, traditional things like out of home and mailers. And for us at Half the Story, we have done some out of home uh, thanks to generous partners and friends like Viacom. We had a billboard in Times Square and we actually have used the Global Day of Unplugging as a way to digitally activate people and communities to get out in the real world on that day across the globe. And so for us, um, you know, that's, that's what our focus is and, and that's how we aim to continue to grow. Pandemic obviously had a huge impact, especially people in school, right? It's all screens. You can't talk to anybody in real life. You can only talk to them on, on screens and social. Are you seeing now either through your research anecdotally the the impacts of that now, either people still in school or maybe people just graduating, even people in the workplace, right? They didn't get to see anyone in the workplace for a long time. Anything in particular that that's, that's affected you at half the story? Yeah. So a couple of things. I think one is that, you know, the digital, the digital academic system doesn't turn off. So a lot of kids now are experiencing the same anxiety that they did with social media in school because of so much that has gone digitally, like immediately getting test results, um, getting this instant feedback loop. So it's really hard for them to escape that. I think the other thing that we're seeing, and there's a little bit of research on this, is that with everything in textbooks and things going digital, uh, one, you know, time span, attention spans are going down and kids are starting to read books at school like they would social media. So they're actually not taking in all of that information. And then lastly, you know, there's something that we call the toggle tax tax, which is um, when you switch in between tasks. And I think kids, uh, because they're on their phones and doing things at school, doing all these things at once, multitasking has been introduced to them as a normal when in reality, it's actually physically impossible for like 99% of the world to actually multitask. And so 
there is a there was an interesting article about the toggle task in the Harvard Business Review about a week ago and just how, you know, every time when you move between things, you're losing energy and it actually impacts your emotional well-being. And so I think all of those factors are really playing into the state of what kids are feeling and um, most certainly is impacting the way that they access um, access information, but also the way that they are able to or relate or not with students in the real world because they're more com comfortable just being online. Even so with all of these issues, where where who is the best position to fix this? Is it tech companies themselves? Is it parents, kids? Is it you know the government putting in regulations? Where do you see is the best place to resolve this? I mean, I think that it's a really complex, uh, a really complex question. And for us, we think about it as a delta of change. And there's kind of three key players in this. So one is the top, like the tech companies. There are standards that you have to have in place for security and safety, no questions asked. We wouldn't let kids drive around a car that doesn't have, you know, the right safety systems in place. We need to use the government to hold tech companies accountable to ensure that at least the baseline is done. Is that going to fix all the problems? No. Why? Because there's cultural, there's familial, there's all these different factors that impact a child's experience. I think the second key players in the space are actually advertising agencies and content creators who are the ones responsible for putting out the content in the world. And we're starting to see, I think, much more inclusivity and shifts in the type of content and language that people are using. But we still have a long way to go in terms of how we can uh, improve. And then the last piece is really leaning on the ecosystem and the school system. And, and I think at half the story, we really believe in empowering youth to lead this movement and also teach other youth and embed that into um, educational ecosystems, districts, and also work with other nonprofits because we believe that knowledge is power. And in a lot of ways, we just expect kids to know how to use these devices without ever giving them the tools emotionally or socially to transition and use these. So that's really where half the story's focus is, is that, you know, I would say the highest level with policy and then the lowest level with uh, knowledge and education. When you're speaking to different stakeholders, what's the biggest source of pushback that you get for why they don't want to change? Well, we don't get any pushback from schools. It's uh, everyone's kind of chomping at the bit for what we do. But when it comes to tech companies and we spend a lot of time in Sacramento lobbying um, this spring and we work a lot on policy, it comes down to money at the end of the day. I mean, it doesn't matter. I mean, yeah, they care about the mental health of our kids, kind of, sort of. But what they care more about is that their shareholders are getting the returns. And that's just how companies work and how capitalism works. So there's very few incentives for tech companies and social media companies to actually have these systems in place other than maybe like good PR, which clearly some of them don't care about at all, um, given, you know, just the state of the union uh, and where things are at. And so I think, you know, we're just, we can't rely on tech companies to change their policies when we are their product and our kids are their product because we're living in the attention economy. So on your phone right now, what, what apps do you have? What apps do you refuse to use? How do you, how do you live this knowing everything that you know? I think to be, I'm going to be completely honest with you. I'm so busy trying to just like run this movement that I don't even have time to like sit on my phone and use it. I think for me, when I create content, it's with the intention to create for knowledge sharing. I'm never like in like 
taking Instagram photos and like editing them to see if I look good. Like, it's like, okay, great. I'm doing this thing or I'm, you know, this is breaking news and I want to cover this and share this with my community. So I think the way that I've really tried to live this is by having an intention for every time that I use technology, whether it be for work or whether it be to educate and create. And I think that's been the biggest shift. In terms of, you know, apps and things on my phone, I don't have Discord on my phone. I don't, you know, which a lot of the Web3 community is using. I don't have, I actually don't have Slack on my phone, even though that's how my team communicates, because I think it's so easy to just like mindlessly check it, like every place and everything you're doing. Um, And when I'm on vacation, I try to remove email from my phone because I think otherwise it's really hard to create boundaries. That's good. I mean, it really is, it's a challenge. What's one thing that anybody can do, right? Whether you're you're just a normal person, you're listening to this, what's one thing somebody can do today to at least make their life better or make, you know, a loved one's life better about all this? This is the simplest thing you can do, but I would say getting an alarm clock, getting an alarm clock instead of relying on your phone to wake you up so that you can count on waking up and going to bed screen free. I like it. I like it. We already do that. We leave our phones downstairs and we go upstairs and the phones don't make it up there. We have a my mom's alarm clock from the 1990s that still works. So I so I, I know what you're saying is that's been key is not having the phone is the very first and the very last thing that you do. Lars, this has been super fascinating. I could go and talk to you about all this for like two hours, but I know our listeners have other things to do. So really thank you so much for the time. We, we covered a lot of things here. I'm I'm glad that you exist. I'm glad that you created half the story. I think this is so important. I think there's a lot that we can all do. I think certainly the first step for people who don't know is just being aware, right? Knowing Absolutely. that these are issues, you know, the person listening right now, they may not struggle with it, but maybe it's their friend, their coworker, their family member who is struggling with it. And just knowing that, that it's out there and that there's resources to to try to make a difference. And that if the more we are aware of all this, the more we can get back on track and get back to a, a better society of people that are not staring at screens all day. Well, I really appreciate the time and thank you for sharing your platform with us. It means the world. Thanks Lars. Appreciate it so much. All right. Chat soon. Thank you to my guest and thanks for listening. Subscribe to get the latest episodes each week and we'll see you next time.